Hello and welcome to the latest in the Balderton podcast series. I'm Ben Goldsmith and I'm here with John Cole, who's the CCO of Ezoic. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Ben. Right, real pleasure to have you on the show. Ezoic, you're a testing platform that automatically improves and alters websites based on user behavior. Is that a fair description? F- fair enough, yeah. Fair enough. Did <laughs> I miss anything? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's been, you know, it's it's taken us a long time to kind of you know come up with what we are because we sort of uh, uh, this process of automated multivariate testing makes us a testing platform yeah but also the things that we do we uh, we're actually um, changing you know a product like a CMS you know improving the layouts and also improving ad performance so we're sort of bordering on ad tech and bordering on uh, kind of user user experience uh, improvement but we're really a it's kind of like a holistic testing platform, if you like. It doesn't sound too uh, highfalutin. <laughs> highfalutin, <laughs> a holistic ad testing platform. Yeah. I suppose what you do is you help uh, publishers and companies make their ads work harder for them. Well, that's right. Well, basically, what our system does is it 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 does it makes that multivariate testing is quite hard to do. You have you know a lot of people do A B testing, and then you've got a, you know A B C, and when you're talking about multivariate, you're testing lots of different things. And really, as you keep on going down that route you get to the point where you're, you're actually talking about artificial intelligence when a system is learning from the different inputs and signals what to change. And, and you know, our main product is called AdTester. Um, we're a certified publishing partner with Google. We were Google's first North American AdSense partner. And uh, our system um, automates that process of testing different ad positions to improve revenue, but also to improve user experience. And that's, I guess, what makes us different is that we we focus just as heavily on user experience for publishers as we do on revenue improvement. So quite unique and quite uh, an offering that takes a little bit of explaining because it's quite bleeding edge and I think quite new. Yes, but. It hasn't always been the case. And the thing that I wanted to talk to you about most was something that I think, well, if not unique, is quite particular to Ezoic, which is that you guys stayed in stealth for three years at, yes. the, at the beginning. Yeah. And well, the first question is, why? And what were you doing in that time? <laughs> uh, it's something we don't actually talk about that much. These days. <laughs> it's a dark time. No, we, we, we basically, uh, so Dwayne LaFleur is the founder, CEO of the business. Mm. Um, he and I were colleagues. So he, he had an ad network called uh, Cubix, which was the first ad network inside Facebook applications. So, in, you know, when Zynga was producing, you know, Farmtown, Farmville, all that, you know, planting virtual crops, all the rest of it, putting the ads in there. That's that's basically what his system did. And, and that was sold to a company called Ad Knowledge. Um, and my business, Media Run, I was one of the founding directors at Media Run, uh, which is a UK-based ad network. Um, we we sold our business to them. So we we then became colleagues. And, and uh, myself and Dwayne and a, and a whole bunch of the guys have worked together you know, it must be nearly 10 years now um, in that business and then in this one. But when we started off, really what we what we had was just an idea. And we and it took us a long time to prove our, our theories. And um, I, mean, I don't know if you want the full story on it. Well, let's go, let's go, yeah, into the weeds of what you were doing because I think everyone understands the concept of being in stealth for a period of time. Usually there's lots of different reasons, but often it's to avoid swipes from competition. You don't want your competition to find out what you're doing early. You have a 
technology that might be difficult to defend to defend yeah. if everyone knows what you're doing. But three years seems like a, a very long time, <laughs> even with those in mind. Yeah. So what was that initial idea, the kind of first Ezoic idea, and did it change during those three years? Yeah. Uh, and well, it, it, it did. I mean, we came in, um, so we raised, we raised from Boulderton in, uh, at the end of uh, 2011. So it's quite a while ago now. And at the beginning, we were... Um, we were proving a theory, which is it, it's not so uh, the the performance that you get from advertising uh, on a site, in, in other words, ad earnings, um, is as much uh, is as important to consider where the ads are on a page as to where the ads come from. And and pretty much the whole of ad tech is about seems to be about trying to improve the ad quality and the ad. Um, appropriateness. In other words, the right ad to the right person at the right time. And that's all about retargeting or contextual targeting. What we were looking at was where the ads are on the page, how do they affect user experience, and then how does user experience affect overall ad earnings? Because if you add more page views, you make more money. If the bounce rate goes down, you make more money. So a lot of publishers didn't get this. Anyway, long answer to a short question. Why did we spend all this time? Well, we went and bought a whole bunch of websites. So we bought 400 websites. We invested uh, about $5 million. Obviously, when you have raised venture capital money and you're trying to buy small and medium-sized websites to do all your experiments on, you don't really want people knowing that you've raised VC because obviously the price will go up. Who are these guys? Oh, I looked them up online. So that was a, there was a practical reason. The other reason was... Um, we weren't 100% sure that what we had was a, could be a product. So we built this thing for ourselves to manage 400 sites, to do the automated testing. So what we would do is we would buy a website you know, for $50,000 and we found that we could get our money back in a year to two years. So as an investment... And these were business, all kinds of websites or were they we, for we certain types of companies? Um, we, we, built, we built some um, some sort of keyword searching um software for ourselves that enabled us to identify sites that had what we call evergreen content. I think that's a Google term, actually. So uh, recipes, um, you know, uh, things that people will look for um, five years from now, are looking for today and look for five years ago. If you can buy a website that, that ranks well for those, the chances are the evergreen content's going to stick around and it's still going to be useful. So if you're, if you're looking up, you know, about Emperor Nero, it's not just recipes, it's sort of like history, science, education is, is very, you know, if you're doing algebra, mm. all of these principles don't change. So we, we specialized in buying these kind of sites, which mostly were being built by hobbyists. Um, a lot of them weren't mobile enabled, so we built the platform to take any site, try different layouts of the same content, test different themes, make it mobile enabled, make it tablet enabled, and of course, um, put more ads in where appropriate or take ads out if it was over, you know, spamming people away. Um, and the system, really, we built the system for ourselves. And then at the end of the three and a half years of doing that, we felt like we had a product. So we just then started bringing in. And when you were building, you said, you, you know, the way you talk about it, you say we were building these systems for ourselves. Yeah. Were you knowingly building them to eventually become the Ezoic product suite? Or was that almost a combination of deliberate uh, building on your part and happy accident in certain yeah, circumstances? I mean, it, it, uh, I'm sure that a lot of entrepreneurs look back at their time and say, oh, yes, that was uh, totally our intention. <laughs> um, 
I think we always had it as a as the idea because obviously if you're if you if you if you're effectively doing up websites using automated software, that is in itself it's a thirsty business. You know, you need to put more and more capital in in order to get generate the returns. But it's a little bit like doing up properties. Um, yeah. But what we realized was we have something that a lot of people struggle with, which is you know how do you balance user experience and monetization. You know, how do you continually test without spending loads of time and effort? Like, how do you build this automated system? And then when we came up with the platform, um, the first product that we had didn't work. Um, and we spent a long time and a lot of effort uh, making that, uh, well, for that to become a reality for us was when we were looking at how well we were doing, like that people don't like this. And, and actually what it was, was I'm getting people to sign up to automated multivariate testing of everything. So the background, the color, the, the theme, you know. So that was the so. difference between now what works, which is you get to really be laser focused on what you're testing and it's the, the... Well, we, what we learned along the way was what publishers are like and don't like. And, and, empirically what we built was correct because if you can bring the bounce rate down and the time on site up the page views per visit up that user experience is improving now if you're a hobbyist and you worked on a site for 10 years and you're using this system called ezoic and you're saying my sites always look the same and you guys are changing it i don't like that that's my um that's my baby that's really hard. And even though the bounce rate's gone down, and even though the time on site's gone up, and the page views for visits gone up, and the money's gone up, they still didn't like it. And that product market fit was an, an, it was elusive. It was a little bit like asking them to sort of jump into cold water instead of dipping a toe. And then we came out with the ad tester product, which only changes potential ad locations on a page. And that's really when we kind of hit the ground running. That's when the two, you know, the Venn diagram, the two circles intersected and started overlapping. That's when we... That's a really interesting point on the the human element of a market and the logical element of a market aren't always the same thing. Because at the bottom line, you were improving their websites and you were making them more money from ads. Correct. However, people just don't like, don't like throwing stuff away that they love almost. Well, and, and that's the thing. And we... We to, it wasn't a total, you know, failure. And in fact, oh, no, a lot of, of people not, have yeah. gone into that. And it, it actually, what it then became was our market was only people who were dispassionate and data-based and objective, which is not the majority of the population, by the <laughs> way. Um, and now we have something that is much uh, easier to swallow uh, and easy to use and, and all that stuff. So, you know, really looking looking back at how that progressed, we had to go through all of that time. But to, to, to remain in, in stealth mode is actually quite, it is quite hard. It's as hard as it sounds, actually, because, of course, you want to tell everyone what you do. Well, this, when we were chatting before about this subject, I, what I found interesting, one of the things I found interesting that you said was that there, you know, I, I was thinking about it from the business point of view and the logical reasons for doing it, which makes sense, especially in hindsight now that Ezoic's doing well. But it was the personal effect, or the, as you described it, the ego cost of, of staying silent about something that you were excited about yeah. for three plus years. Were there moments where you were just going crazy with this? It was. It was re actually really hard. <laughs> uh, you know, both Dwayne and and I. Dwayne, Dwayne had gone from a, a an office with, I think, three hundred and fifty people in it, uh, and then was on his own for a while. Um, brought in the first engineers, who you know were uh, old friends of his. Um, you know, they, they, they came in, I came, I came in, 
a little bit after that. And and I was the only person over here in the UK. I was on my own. So I'd, I'd actually gone from, you know, running a European business as the European MD with, you know, a whole bunch of people in an office in Covent Garden. And then I was a, in an office above a shop on my own <laughs> for two years, you know. A culture shock. Yeah, and it's tough. And it is, it is tough. But we wanted, you know... I, I, the trading element was great because obviously, you know, buying websites is fun. But on your own, you know, you're kind of high-fiving yourself <laughs> or on Skype with the guys. Um, but it's, uh, you know, and then, of course, I moved to the States for three and a half years and I've just come back. Um, and then, we, you know, we've built up the business since we've, you know, started accelerating. Um, you know, it's that, it, it is that product market fit again. And nobody can, some people hit it really early and are lucky uh, or they have an insight. Um, other, uh, other, other of us, mm. uh, th- those of us who, you know, if you're solving a big, difficult problem, sometimes you've got to come at it from different angles, and you may, um, it may take you longer than you think. So I think one of the things that makes us dif- different uh, in that journey was that we didn't go out and hire a whole bunch of engineers and go, let's build this thing. You know, let's have a hundred engineers, because actually, what we, what we built, may not have. You know, we may have come to the same conclusion that actually people didn't want this particular thing, but they wanted this other thing that was kind of similar, but we had to kind of go through. And and what you want to do is keep your be patient, keep your options open, and iterate, throw things away, move on. You know, keep moving fast, and that's the that's the hallmark of a good, I think, a good startup is the like trying to put your ego to one side and say, okay, look at the numbers. That's not working. What are we it seems do? what you know now with hindsight is that the process worked and it seems like a very sensible, patient, uh, if sort of three-year-long process to build a business. But it also feels like it flies in the face of sort of prevalent startup culture, which is like build it and burn it and, you know, all those kind of minimum viable products and all, all those kind of things that are interwoven with lean startup culture. Was that a, I would imagine it was a very conscious decision not to build that way and to almost do the testing in this huge kind of uh, more, more longer-winded fashion. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, we, we build really quickly, so you know, uh, MVP. I'm I'm totally behind that. I think, but what um, I I don't really know other startups that well. But what from the outside looking in, a lot of them seem to pile in on things like marketing way too early. You know, they want the thing is, if you're a customer facing product, you need to understand those customers and you need to understand what they want. And I I, I do believe that if you have you know a thousand absolute fans you know I think it's a, other people have mentioned this yeah. that is actually true you want those people to be absolute loyalists but to get them you've got to engage with them and, and to, the only way to do that is to do it slow um, you don't want people to suddenly sort of adopt you and then suddenly ditch you you want actually to to get loyalty and then roll on from there but um, yeah I mean is this the magic formula Probably not. I mean, it's worked for us. It's worked for us because um, that's the way that we're made. You know, uh, me and Dwayne are kind of, you know, we've we've had businesses, run businesses, exited businesses before. We know that you 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 can't, you know, put the petrol on the fire, put the gas on the fire, you know, um, and, until you've actually got, uh, you know, a product that is that's got that fit with what people really really want, and that's. Uh, that's the best explanation I can come up with. <laughs> uh, to talk about something else that we mentioned before, which links into this very 
strategic and thoughtful approach to every part of the business is the choice of the name. Uh, Ezoic, because it doesn't mean anything, but what I quite liked was the story behind it and the very strategic thinking as to why, you know, you went for a, it's a five letter dot com and it's a, a word that no one's used before. And there's a rationale behind all of that. So let's go into that. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't really claim this for me. This is definitely Dwayne. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hat tip to Dwayne. Yeah. Yes. I'm tipping my hat to Dwayne right now. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, I think a lot of people make the mistake of calling their company name what they do. Um, you know, Carphone Warehouse, very good. Um, example yeah. and the business moves on right are they selling car phones no they're not um you know that is a uk brand that's been unable, unable to you know change its name so uh, ezoic you know e as in electronic and zoic as in aged like paleozoic but really it was five letter.com <laughs> um if you look at yahoo look at google those words don't actually mean anything they become a business after the fact that they've been named and and what we've done uh, with Ezoic is give ourselves room to manoeuvre. And the name is actually the only name in this space because we are only the only people in this space doing exactly what we do. We're the only ones. So calling ourselves an you know, artificial intelligence platform five years ago would have been great. You know, We didn't actually probably know at that time that's what we would become. You know, We, we started off really investing and then we like, oh, we've got a SaaS product here and and then you move on and um, you shouldn't let your name um, be your marketing. In other words, you, you should allow your marketing to develop according to the products of the business, not according to, you know, the constraints of what you thought about when you first named the company. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good example of why, uh, you know, every step we take along the route, we think things through, um, you know, Porter's Five Forces, you know, everyone knows about the strategy yeah. sessions that you should do. That uh, we we have done quite a few of, but you have the threat of competitive entrance into the market who will come in and try and copy what you do. Um, if you have a, a name that does what you do, they can come in and copy that name, make it slightly similar, and then they've just diluted your value. They can't come in and call themselves the same name if you've got an odd name. So. That's, a, that's, a, that's another reason for having an unusual name is that you become a verb, hopefully, like Google. Yeah, we can be ezoicing in... Yeah, or ezoic. Much like you, ezoic. I don't actually know what the verb would be. <laughs> to ezoic. Well, yeah, to, ezo- to ezoic, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Just yeah. much like we... I was Googling before we could be ezoicing as we speak. Uh, the, the age will come, I'm sure. Another thing I wanted to ask, because especially... Uh, now, AI is everywhere when you look at the news and when you uh, look at any kind of tech tech news website, and for very good reason. Um, you are working with artificial intelligence on your ad testing product to you know, make, uh, make a more intelligent decisions as to how you recommend people reorder their sites, etc. Let's talk about that. How does that work? When did you sort of bring that in? Yeah, I mean, uh, artificial intelligence is overused as a marketing term now. I think anybody who writes a, a, pro, a computer program, you know, and, and can do some algorithmic optimization is now, you know, just saying, hey, we're doing artificial intelligence. Um, just to, it, you know, reiterate what is the difference between algorithmic optimization and artificial intelligence. Uh, certainly the way I understand it, I mean, you probably get a better kind of description of this from, from the tech guys, but... Algorithmic is when you know the parameters, you know, the signals that you want um, the system to look at and give an answer for. So, for example, bounce rate, 
time on site, page views per visit on one side and ad density on the other. Um, you can say on this particular page, how many ads are there? And if these affect these user experience metrics, therefore, you know, the answer is X. That is an algorithmic decision. Um, an artificial intelligence um, decision-making or, or at the process of doing that is not knowing what the signals are that are important, but asking the computer to work that out for you. So let's say, for example, um, your connection speed from your device is a, is a, a factor of, you, of user experience, which we know, which we know that it is. Um, uh, the number of ads on the page, that where they are, how they dilute each other, the value of each ad, the type of ad, um, the particular landing page that a user is on, um, you know, I could go on and on. There's so many factors involved. You know, is there a presence of a sidebar on mobile? You know, what are the navigation features that are available? Are there navigation errors? All of this basically goes into this enormous database, billions of rows of data, and you just let the system chug through and say, I would like you to work out for these resultants and for, for the system to learn and understand what are the most important signals, not for us as engineers to write in and say into the program and say these are the these are the, the factors but to say here are all of the factors and you work it out and that's basically my my best explanation of what artificial intelligence does and, for digital publishing and in this context what it does is it removes the kind of human biases and preconceptions that you as an engineer would have preloaded the system with or the algorithm with well, right at, right at the right. genesis that's right and the thing is um you know it's coming back to being objective about the data um that uh, p particularly with, um, you know, the changes in uh, in ad tech, uh, if you like, where you have parameters like viewability, which is, is not a correlate of revenue yet. It's coming that way. But, um, you know, viewability is another factor. And then, you know, the CPM of each ad is another factor. But overall session earnings is what you want. It, without getting bogged down in, in our business, you know, artificial intelligence really is about trying to make sense of things getting the computer to work out what are the questions as well as what are the answers, if that makes sense. Um, but the, I think the reason why you know, most people are, are really, really excited about artificial intelligence is um, the speed of advancement, you know, the ability to be able to you know, move that needle is extreme. I mean, uh, you know, we see sites 4x their revenue. You know, in a few weeks, and it's it's exciting to see, and of course, you know that one of the reasons that we were in you know that stealth mode is that we we knew that there was a big opportunity here. It just we wanted to make sure we had a product, and that's you, know, you wait until you've got the product before you then you pile in, and, and then when you when you're piling in, that's when you go and do podcasts like this one, and <laughs> fantastic, and do lots of other things. So that you know, just to finish off, let's talk about. Ezoic now because even let's take the last six months you've uh, won awards. There was a Google awards that you guys yeah, won. You've acquired right. uh, other companies as well. Like AmpSense was only I forget now three or four months ago you acquired yeah. AmpSense. Yeah, There's a lot going on. Yes, yes, we are. Um, you know, we're hiring a ton of engineers. Like I said earlier, you know, we could have gone out with the Balderton money and hired all these engineers and you know tried to prove all our own theories. But actually, now is the time that we're you know hiring loads of engineers and, you know, kind of doing 20 interviews a week and all of this kind of stuff for new engineers. <laughs> Anybody who wants to join, let us know. Southern California. Nice. Um, 
So you're, you're hiring in we Southern are, California? We are hiring right now. So we're, we're looking for engineers. Um, it's, it's exciting. Um, I've, I've been here before. You get that feeling in a business when things take off and, and, and things become slightly easier. Uh, I think all entrepreneurs know that grind. It's almost like, you know, the flywheel. You're, you're sort of like at the start, it's like to, you're trying to crank this handle that's moving this enormous stone going round and round really, really slowly. And then uh, as, you, as, as the product picks up, you don't have to put that effort in and it's, and it's, and it's chugging away. Um, so, yeah, we've grown, um, you know, 3x uh, uh, annually for the last two years and, and will be like mid eight figures turnover this year and you know it's it's exciting exciting times exciting ahead time so uh yeah and i've just moved i've moved back to uh, london to open an enterprise uh product uh or lead a, lead an enterprise product office here in london um and uh, you know we're, we're looking actively looking at other offices um to open other offices. So yeah, in AmpSense, we bought those guys. It's a plug-in. Um, they, they had a bunch of, um, of really nice publishers. So we effectively, it was an acquisition that you know, pretty much paid for itself. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's exciting times. So, I mean, we, we've been here before. We don't want to uh, overexpand or, or think that we know everything. You know, slow and steady wins the race. Um, and uh, we hope to carry on doing exactly that. So, could encapsulation of patient and intelligent strategy-led building of a business, it feels. Well, thanks for coming on, John. Thanks. Thanks, Ben.